There may have been times down through the years when you've come into this church and you've said, I'm just not really sure about this stuff. I'm not sure that what that preacher is talking about up there is really, really true. If you're not in doubt now, you may have been in the past. If you're not in doubt now, you may be in the future. It's just a matter of time. And the problem with doubt is sometimes we just can't get rid of it. And it really doesn't seem to matter what we do. Doubt still assails us. And we can say, why does doubt occur? Why does it happen? Why do I sometimes have doubts? It goes much deeper than just saying it's the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. And we're going to be talking today about why do we have doubts and how do you get rid of them? In this sermon, I've entitled The Doubt Dilemma. And we're going to dig into the Word of God today in Luke chapter 7 to figure out why John the Baptist had doubts, because he did, which is amazing. And you'll find out why that's amazing here in just a few minutes. So we're calling this a doubt dilemma, two fundamental points. Why do we have doubts? Why do you sometimes have doubts about what we talk about in here and what gets rid of them? Let's look at this text. It's the gospel reading, Luke 7, 18 to 23, and this is what it says. It's up on the screens. Go ahead and look at it with me as I read it. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I grew up with an awesome dad. He loved me incredibly. And as many of you know, he was a pastor. For 40 years, he stood up in front of congregations and told them the truth of God's Word. He was a rock star for Jesus. He was a great evangelist. He preached with power and conviction regarding the Word of God. He taught about Jesus, him crucified and resurrected for the forgiveness of sins and the way to eternal life. And he preached it with sub, such passion and such conviction. And you could tell this guy really believes what he says. And some of you have said the same thing about me. Wow, Pastor Dave, I can tell you're not faking it. I can tell you really believe this stuff. Otherwise, you wouldn't preach it with such passion. And I do. I believe it with all my heart. But that doesn't mean at times I don't have doubts. My dad was an amazing preacher. And for three years after he retired, he went to a couple vacancy congregations, congregations that didn't have a pastor, and he was their pastor. And then in 1986, he was hit by COPD. He was a smoker, and he couldn't breathe very well. And he was on oxygen, and his ministry was over. He could hardly get around. He could hardly talk. 
and he stayed in his house a lot. And I'm not casting stones at anybody at the church he was a member at, but nobody went to see him. My wife and I were out of town, both in Burlington, Colorado, and El Paso, Texas. And I started to see, listen to this, I started to see his faith in Christ start to wane. He wasn't reading the Scriptures like he once did. He didn't talk about his love for Jesus with great passion like he once did. And doubts started to enter in. You're probably thinking, what happened? How could this amazing man on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ have any doubts about the faith? You'll find out here in just a few minutes. But before I go on, if I were to ask you how many of you have had steadfast faith, belief in Christ all your life, and your doubt has never entered, you've never had a doubt, you've always believed, if any hand went up and said, that's me, you'd be lying. Because we all have them. And sometimes they strike at the oddest times. So today we want to figure out, as I said before, why do doubts come and how do you get rid of them? Why do doubts come and how do you get rid of them? And to help us understand that, we look at this guy by the name of John the Baptist. Now, the day that this text occurred, Jesus had done some amazing stuff found in the book of Luke chapter 7. He'd come on the scene of this man in, in a town by the name of Capernaum, and this centurion had a servant that was sick, and he didn't want Jesus to go and heal him. He said, just speak the word, and my servant will be made well. And that's exactly what happened. Then Jesus went to this little town by the name of Nain, and he raised this man from the dead. And the followers of John the Baptist went back to tell John what had happened. Now, who was John the Baptist? He was a man that grew up with Jesus Christ. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, walked in the room, when John the Baptist was inside of Elizabeth's womb, he was so amazed that the Messiah was in the room, the Bible says he jumped for joy inside of Elizabeth's womb, inside of her stomach. He was the same man that when Jesus came on the scene and walked by, he pointed at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, the promised Messiah who takes away the sin of the world. He was at the baptism of Jesus. When the Spirit descended and God the Father said about his son Jesus, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This man was the rock. He was steadfast in his faith. And now what do you hear him saying? He said, I'm not sure. Yeah, one time I was firmly convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. But I'm not sure now. You might be saying, what? What happened to this guy? Why did he have these doubts? What occurred? What changed his heart? This rock star for the Lord Jesus Christ, this dynamic man of faith, now suddenly in his life, for the first time probably, had doubts. And my big question for you is, why? Why? Do you want me to share the answer with you? I'm not going to. No, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I, when I was reading this text, I had the same question. 
How could this guy have doubts, man? This guy was on fire for Christ. This doesn't make any sense. Why? Here's why. Here's why people have doubts. Here's why John the Baptist had doubts. And I'd encourage you to write it down. The first thing is isolation. Here's the cool thing about this. When John the Baptist wrote this, he wasn't on the shore of the Jordan River. He was in, does anybody know? And he got in trouble because he told Herod that he shouldn't have his brother's wife and that he was living together. He was living in sin. He was carrying out adultery. Herod got real mad and threw him as a result of that in where? Prison. You know what it's like to be in prison? Does Satan play with a person's mind when they're in prison? Absolutely. Was he disassociated from other Jews who could affirm his faith? Did he have the scriptures at his disposal? Absolutely not. He was isolated from that. And as a result of that, because he was isolated from the scriptures, isolated from people of God, doubts started to enter in. It's amazing to me what happens when kids leave this church and they go off to college and they sit at the feet of a liberal professor who tells them that Christianity is just a bunch of bunk and evolution is the way to go and creation is just a myth and all of that and they don't hear the word, they don't go to church, they're not in a Bible study and all of a sudden they're isolated from the people of God and doubts start to enter in. And I've heard many parents say, man, my kid came home for Christmas vacation they left being a believer. They came down, came back filled with a lot of, you say it, doubt. Why? Because they had isolated themselves from the thing that can affirm and strengthen their faith and cast out doubts. You see, when we isolate ourselves from God's people and the context of scriptures and the preaching of the word of God and the teaching of the word of God, doubts can so easily enter in. And you might be asking, well, what happened to your dad? Why did he have doubts? Remember where he was? Home alone. My mom was there. She had a daily devotion time. She spent time in the word of God. My dad was brought up, hey, you don't need to spend the Word of God, spend time in the Word of God on your own. You prepare sermons, you prepare Bible studies, that's enough. You don't have time to study the Scriptures on your own. And so that's what my dad did. He didn't study the Word of God for his own edification on his own. And what happened? Doubt started to assail him. Doubts entered in. And I compared my dad before then to like John the Baptist. This guy is rock solid. He'll never have any doubts. Here's the thing. If you have doubts, don't feel bad. If you sometimes question the faith, that's why we're here. That's why you come to church. That's why you hear the word. That's why you receive the sacrament, so that your faith can be solidified in Christ. So that's the number one reason. Oftentimes people have doubts because they isolate themselves from the context of God's people and God's word. Second reason why people oftentimes have doubts is misperception. I really believe that as John the Baptist was in prison, his perception about what he thought the Messiah ought to accomplish was skewed. It was not accurate because he had been influenced by other Jews in that time and didn't fully understand the teaching of Scripture and what the Messiah would do. I think he got caught up in all the political ramifications that were available then, and he thought the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, ought to stamp out the, the Jewish nation or stomp out the Roman nation, establish an earthly kingdom, take out the Roman government, 
take out the Caesarean government on the western part of, of the sea, of the Mediterranean Sea, that he ought to do all that, that indeed the armies were rising, the masses were coming, the kingdom was growing, and that Jesus ought to stomp out the Romans just like John the Baptist thought he should. He had a total misperception of what he thought the Messiah ought to do and ought to be. And so as time went by and Jesus did not eliminate the Roman government and persecution started to increase and Jesus did nothing about it, what happened? Satan entered in. John the Baptist is in this prison. Doubts start to overcome him and he wonders, are you the one? Are you the one? Why do people have doubts today, too, in this culture? Because they have a misperception of what they think God ought to do and Jesus ought to be. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to take away our problems. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to make us rich. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to establish utopia on earth or to bring world peace all around the globe. That is not why Jesus came. And Satan will enter in sometimes and he'll say, if God really existed, you wouldn't have those problems. If Jesus really existed, all your problems would go away. If God really existed, your loved one wouldn't have died. We wouldn't have had those atrocities on 9-11, hurricanes and pestilences and famines and wars and rumors of wars. All your prayers would be answered. If there really was a God, God would answer every prayer that you bring before him. Do you see how oftentimes we have misperceptions about what we think the Messiah ought to do and be? And let's be honest. Your faith has waned when you've asked God to do something in your life, to remove an evil, a problem, and he didn't do it. And you felt like those prayers fell on deaf ears. And during that time, Satan entered in and doubts arose. Yeah. Because we oftentimes have a misperception of what we think God ought to do, and we want a Santa Claus God to take away all our ills, all our frustrations, all our problems, and when he doesn't do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it, doubts enter in. So you're probably thinking, well, Pastor Dave, what removes our doubt then? If we know that oftentimes doubt comes because we isolate ourselves from the Word of God and we have misperceptions about who God really is and what He should do, what then takes away our doubt? Well, let's go back to our text. So these guys come to Jesus, these emissaries from John the Baptist, they come to Jesus and they say this, are you the one, John the Baptist wants to know, are you the one, are you the promised Messiah or should we look for someone else? Now remember, Jesus grew up with John the Baptist. He was a relative of his. And I believe that John the Baptist, as he was growing up with Jesus, said, man, Jesus, it's going to be amazing when you start your public ministry and you do all these amazing things and you crunch the Roman government. And I wonder if Jesus just said, mm, dude, no, that's, that's not what I'm going to be about. You wonder if he said that. But I, I think that John the Baptist just couldn't get that out of his mind. And remember, he's isolated. He's in prison by himself. He has this misperception of who he thinks the Messiah ought to be. And so he sends these emissaries saying, are you the one or should we expect someone else? He was filled with the D word. What's the D word today? 
doubt. And Jesus' answer, go and tell John that the deaf can hear, the blind can see, the lame can walk, the lepers are healed, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Go and tell them that. And so that's what they did. These emissaries come running. Hey, John, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, why do you think that? Because you're not going to believe it. You know Isaiah 35? You know what it says in Isaiah? That the lame will be able to walk and the blind will be able to see and the deaf will be able to hear and the kingdom of God will be preached. Jesus has done all that. As a matter of fact, the day that we appeared to him asking if, you were, if he was the one, he did all that stuff. He did all these miracles. And we have people that are eyewitnesses of it. John, he's the Messiah. And I really think, because John knew the Scriptures really, really well, I think he started thinking, okay, okay, okay. What's it say about the Scriptures? Let me think. Isaiah chapter 35 verses, Isaiah 35, 4 to 6. I know that. This is a prediction about what the Messiah would do when he comes to the world. And maybe that came to mind. And it says this, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the... Look at this. This was written 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap, as a heart and the tongue of the dumb shall sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Did you hear that? So all of a sudden, John the Baptist is putting two to two together. He's saying, oh my goodness, that prediction was made about Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Messiah. He's done all this stuff that Isaiah talked about. He's got to be the one. And as he embraced the word, he didn't have scrolls, remember, he was in prison but as he embraced the word in his heart and remembered the words of Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 4 to 6, his doubts, listen to this, his doubts were dispelled. His faith was increased because the scriptures speak. Have you ever noticed that when doubts come your way, all of a sudden you don't want to go to church anymore? All of a sudden, it doesn't seem like you want to read the Word anymore. All of a sudden, you might break out of that life group or quit going to youth group or quit going to Sunday school because you've isolated, and because you've isolated yourself from the Scriptures and God's people, your doubts rise up like a mountain. So here's how you dispelled it. And by the way, had my dad spent a lot of time, and by the way, he didn't die. Some people, did he die? In un no, he was a believer. It just takes a spark of faith. You can have doubt mixed with faith and you're still saved. But his doubts were starting to increase. And finally, thanks be to God, in 1999, the Lord called him home. And he still had a saving faith in Christ, but he had a lot of doubts. Why? Here's the fundamental principle I want to I share with you. What gets rid of doubt? And I'd encourage you to write this down or commit it to memory. 
What gets rid of doubt? Be in contact with the Scriptures and God's people as much as possible. The culture will say there is no God, there is no Christ, there is no Savior. And oftentimes when doubts assail us, what do we do? We go to a self-help book, we don't go to church, we abandon Sunday school, we bail on youth group, whatever it is. We listen to the culture, the culture feeds us. And we live, guys, in the United States of America, we live in a post-Christian culture. Our culture is against Christ. Our culture is against Christianity. Most folks in our culture will tell you you're wasting your time sitting in a pew, listening to a talking head like me telling you about Jesus because it's just a myth. It's just a fable. And sometimes we buy into it and we say, they're right. I'm out of here. So the people that wrote down what Jesus did, namely Matthew and John, they were eyewitnesses to these things. They saw Jesus cleanse lepers. They saw Jesus give sight to the blind. They saw Jesus give people hearing who didn't have it before. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw Jesus make the lame walk. They saw Jesus preach the gospel. They saw Jesus crucified on a cross. They saw Jesus rise from the dead and hang out for 40 days. They saw it. Their lives were changed as a result of it. They were willing to die for the faith. Nobody dies for a lie. These guys' hearts were changed. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God got a hold of them. They were eyewitnesses to all these things, and they died with the confession of Christ on their lips. But before that ever happened, Matthew and John and then Mark and Luke, who were eyewitnesses to all this stuff, wrote about it. If they would have had a video, they would have videoed it. And now, 2,000 years later, we open the Scriptures, and these guys who are eyewitnesses got the story straight. Sometimes when events happen, a newspaper editor will say to his staff, find out what happened, talk to the eyewitnesses, get the story. The scriptures bring us the story of the eyewitnesses. And in Bible class and life group, we get the scriptures. When you come to church, you get the scriptures. When you have your own personal devotion, you get the scriptures. When you're struggling and you talk to another brother or sister in Christ who's strong in the Lord, you get the scriptures. When you come to the Lord's Supper, you get the scriptures. When you're in fellowship with other Christians in a Bible study, you get the scriptures. And Satan will say, you are wasting your time. And God says, no, you're not. Which voice If it was good enough for John the Baptist, it should be good enough for us. So, what would your life look like if when doubts come, you open up the Word instead of going to a self-help book? What would your life look like when doubts come, instead of staying away from church, you come all the more? What would your life look like if when doubts come, you picked up the phone and talked to a brother or sister in Christ who has a strong faith and they encourage you? What would your life look like with every time doubt comes, you cling to the Scriptures all the more? Your life would look differently. 
So this is my challenge for 2019. Get into a Bible study. Whether it's at work or here on Wednesday night or Sunday morning or in a life group or whatever. This past week in closing, this past week I, I had some doubt. Some stuff happened in my life and went through a couple bumps in ministry. And, and for a split second, I thought maybe this stuff isn't true after all. And opened up the book of Psalms. Thy word is a lamp, Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longeth after you. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Did that speak to me? Oh, yeah. Don't open up the Bible. Spend time in fellowship with other Christians and say it's just a waste of time. It's the best time you can carry out.